Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me. Whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here. And so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. What's happening, everybody? Welcome back for the 49th installment of the Decoding Cocktails podcast. And uh, today will be just a little bit different than a lot of the usual podcasts. So if you're a follower of my newsletter as well, and if you're not, invite you to take a peek at it. There'll be a link to it in the show notes. Uh, in the newsletter, I am at, at times now doing adding voiceovers, so you get to hear me more individually. But for the podcast, since people do uh, end-of-the-year wrap-ups and all sorts of stuff, uh, and we're getting close to the end of the year, and today, yes, today, if you're listening to it on its publication day, is my birthday. I was like, you know what, why not? Why not do something live? And I'll kind of, uh, I wanted to think back on, on a few things from the year, think ahead and, uh, and all that good stuff. And so, uh, so here we are. So anyways, uh, thanks for, thanks for joining as always. And, uh, before I forget, just in case I, uh, the podcast, not surprising has been a lot of fun and a fun addition to things. Uh, if you're a person who is a listener in the industry and you think you've got a story worth sharing, let me know. I'd be interested to hear. And, or if you're just a listener and you're like, Hey, we haven't explored this yet, or we want to go back to this drop me a line. Now you can send me a note at chris at decodingcocktails.com and let's let's see where what what ideas come up come up next. So a place I wanted to start and uh, this is a pretty recent thing on this past Saturday I went down to uh, Union Missouri for those of you not in the greater St. Louis area which is most of you. Uh, it's about an hour outside of uh, my home in the city of St. Louis uh, to a uh, what would have actually been uh, podcast guest number one, Demetrius Kane of Nobleton's Distilling. I went to, out to his new facility because despite, you know, things probably seeming to go gangbusters at times for various groups, uh, Demetrius still runs a really small shop and he was behind on bottling and he was like, hey, can people come out and uh, and help with this? And uh, so anyway, so I drove down there and helped to put, slap labels on bottles and we got to taste some fun stuff. But a couple of things... Uh, first came to mind. First, you know, he spoke that over time his distilling operation is shifting, um, shifting its focus. And uh, currently, right now, I'm actually reading the book, The Creative Act by Rick Rubin, which I highly recommend. But he, along like many people, tries to draw the distinction between when are we, you know, as creatives, you know, or craftsmen, whatever, when are we practicing art versus business. And I think it's an interesting and important distinction. So uh, Demetrius was telling me that, uh, you know, their whiskey products, which are very, very good, planter, planter's whiskey, is uh, is just flying off the shelf along with some other stuff. And so some other other products are being phased out. And because, you know, the business needs to pay for itself. And as he put it with his rum products, which I happen to really be a fan of, you know, that he has to really kind of put in a lot of hands-on time in order to push that out. And uh, 
versus with the whiskey, you know, it needs to be very good, but people are more actively consuming that. And so one, to all the whiskey lovers, keep loving it. But I hope in a way that this is a, one of those little micro moments for us to kind of think like, is what we need on our shelf at home, another bottle of tequila, gin, whiskey, et cetera, or do we need to try something new? When do we need to branch outside the box? I think we celebrate a diversity of product in the macro, but what is our, what are our buying patterns look like? And I can appreciate that you don't want to end up at home with something you don't like, or you don't know what to do with. Uh, but that's in part what your bar is for, or to reach out to people like me and ask us, Hey, how do I get into X? And, uh, cause I think that's it is like, there is a, you know, within the skew of whiskey, you have all these nuance that's emerging, which is great. But, um, I think a broader palette sometimes can benefit us. So that was one thought. The second thing is being in Union, Missouri, a more rural outpost, and especially on the verge of really exiting the farthest suburbs of St. Louis. And at that point, you've probably exited. But I was sitting around with a number of other guys out there, and they were coming in from all over the St. Louis area. But I was just thinking, as I sat there in Union, Missouri, in a time that we all know as a polarized era, you know, uh, having honestly a great time, great conversation with these people that hopefully, uh, despite the fact that it can seem like we are all at each other's throats all the time right now, here were me and these guys, uh, and I would imagine at least some of them aren't checking the same boxes at the polls that I do. And that's, that's part of what it means to kind of engage in this American experiment as we talk about and that can these things be a greater, not only a unifier, but a way for us to get to know someone beyond just their political identity? Who are these people? Where do they come from? Like, what's their story? As opposed to just, who did you vote for? And, or are you X or Y when it comes to a political issue? In an era when we talk a lot about locally grown food, or in this case, craft products, I think a lot about times the craft makers and that for many of us who might dwell in the city, we can tend at times to think about, um, you know, urban versus rural as one of the distinctions between how people vote and how many of the craft makers that we buy from or admire are making in more remote parts of states and how many of them, despite loving their product, might not share those same political ideologies that we do and how does that, we use that to invite curiosity of getting to know each other as opposed to uh, lamenting that fact. So there you go. There's your political commentary for the day. Another thing that came to mind, I was talking with a good friend and mentor the other day who's creating all sorts of drink recipes all the time. And for a special event series that he had done, he was talking about that one of his realizations with it kind of in the rear view was that a drink that he might consider to be a six or a seven out of 10, especially in the, uh, the surroundings of a much larger, you know, uh, event with lots of, uh, production value, if you will, that he said, you know, he, he came to realize that some of the drinks that did the best were the drinks that he might've thought technically weren't the best. And this can go back to something as simple as vodka sodas selling very, very well out there. But one of the things that I feel like has been driven home for me over and over again. And this is not about phoning a drink in, but it really is that um, 
as I think he was taking in the, the broader experience around that drink. And again, this was a little bit more of a special event setting, so not exactly a one-for-one one with what I do, but for him, it was a chance to realize that he needed to fret a little less about these drinks being technically uh, dialed in or as creative as much as this drink needs to be pretty darn good and the experience around it needs to be strong. And I do think that, one, at times cocktails are, in many settings, taking themselves uh, less seriously now in a good way. But um, anyways, that kind of just stuck out at me when he said that right there. Uh, I was also, um, as I think back over the course of the year, thinking about along the lines of smaller producers and being a, a topic that's more front and center right now, but uh, with uh, the agave craze. But I am very grateful for the uh, folks at CNI and Banez for really kind of keying me into the world where how do, what steps can we better take to ensure that money remains in the hands of people that grow the product and sell the product as opposed to simply a big company that we feel comfortable buying from or has the right marketing splash. And I think this, along with also talking with uh, the Craft Spirits Association, another reminder again for me about when we look at our shelf, and sometimes the answer is we don't know the answer to this, but the products we are buying, what percentage of our shelf, I don't think anybody you know, to the whole phrase of buy local out there. I don't think anybody goes, I hate local producers. I only like global brands. But you know, what share of our wallet are we giving to? And I think I could easily point this focus at myself. What share of our wallet are we giving to the big production houses as opposed to smaller producers that we probably take pride in the fact that they're around, but how much of our wallet share, so to speak, are we giving to them? And so I love that uh, that conversation is happening with Bonez and in the agave space. But in general, um, it costs craft producers more to create, create a product because they're not creating it at scale. And so we have to be willing to pay extra if we like uh, people doing those things in our community. And so that's something I need to think about. Uh, this, this year was obviously big for me as well, especially if you follow my writing. But I loved that I, my work started to define its way more to flavor and terroir and, you know, the places that things come from. I think this is um, very interesting because we're used to it in food and wine, I feel like, at this point. But for us to understand what impact the soil and the production process has on something is very important. And I loved, uh, just before I was reading this, I'm sure you were all reading the same article about Sherry's revival uh, this morning. But I I love the fact that coming out of um, Jerez, the greater sherry-making region in Spain, they're talking right now about the fact that terroir has not been uh, as big of a conversation. And going to a book I read recently, uh, A Sense of Place on Scotland's Whiskey, both of these kind of drew out in parallel that when you get into the big houses, so whether you're talking about Glenfiddich on the Scotch side or, uh, you know, Ustau or Valdespino on the Sherry side, that these are all great companies, but the big houses tend to be less from a place and more about a product. And when we get into these more nuanced aspects, 
of what farm this is from and where and the processes that makes this part of the land uh, and the people there different from other places. This is where all the nuance of this stuff involves. And so this is an angle I'm looking forward to continue to explore the rest of the year. A couple of uh, podcast moments in particular I'm grateful for this year. Talking with um, Will Elliott at Mates on Premiere was great for me in terms of really along the lines of their book, understanding how they've built what, in my opinion, is such an immersive concept at Maison Premier. And uh, I'm, I'm later to the party in terms of who knows what it was like back in the day versus now, but I appreciate all this, uh, these comments around sweating the small stuff and Steve Grass um, from Quaker City Mercantile talking about the process of really bringing and continuing the, the weirdness of a brand like Hendrix Gin and how does it do you help it continue to grow and not become too corporate, hopefully, over time, even though it is one of the big brands now? Uh, also very grateful, as you know, and following along the lines of a lot of my writings, um, uh, it was fun to interview Kevin Piggott from Tullamore Dew and to really dig into uh, the poetry and the, the romance and searching of things that I feel like he's trying to bring, again, to a big house brand owned by William Grant and sons. Something I've never really, you know, I, I only think about in in hindsight at times that we might as well recognize for today, December 5th. Today is the repeal of Prohibition Day, so uh, it's a great birthday to have in my world. Uh, for a little thing I'm looking forward to, uh, with, along the lines of a recent podcast guest, Margie Lehrman of the American Craft Spirits Association, I'm going to be out in Denver with them uh, in January uh, as a judge for their Craft Spirits Awards, which will be a super fun experience as things kind of go forward. Uh, and if you've also been keeping up as well, um, have signed my first restaurant contract, which is kind of exciting. And there's a second one kind of uh, waiting in the wings. And it's if it happens, it looks like it's a fast-moving project. So hopefully soon these will start to, uh, to pile up here. So finally, um, as I kind of bring this to a briefer podcast episode to a close here. Uh, the end of the year, of course, also brings uh, a lot of thanks and gratitude. And uh, in particular of recent, uh, big thank you to my friend Kyle Gillespie uh, at Good Ice for helping me out with a number of my events and kind of uh, uh, working with me on some uh, this, uh, this restaurant project as I work to get off the ground with this. A huge thank you. Never enough uh, thanks and praise to my good friend, Tim Wiggins of Yellow Belly and Lacey Tiger and his consulting venture, Bangers Only, which is a great name. Uh, but Tim, you are, I am indebted forever uh, to my New York City dwelling brother, Marshall Manaya, uh, who recently opened his third concept. Um, you've become a great friend and, uh, and mentor, and so thank you. I'd also like to point out the fact that uh, pretty much everybody uh, on this list is uh, my age and mostly younger. Uh, big thank you, uh, going back a couple months to Keel O'Brien from Spearbomb. Uh, she took a chance on me with helping to do a little special event at Tales of the Cocktail earlier this year, which was a lot of fun. And um, and finally, uh, to all of you out there uh, who have uh, uh, followed me, hired me for various things over the year, thank you for putting your trust in me. Um, this has been a Heck of a journey, and again, a time to reflect back on as this restaurant angle begins to ramp up a little bit, um, just to see how far it has gone, and uh, 
but it's all brick by brick with people uh, giving me their permission to help out and, and teach them things and uh, being understanding when uh, you slip and fall a little bit. So yeah, uh, that is, it seems like about a good, we could go on for forever, but we don't need to. So yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, I look forward to bringing more podcast episodes. And yeah, please reach out, chris at decodingcocktails.com if you have ideas. That's what I got, everybody. See you soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at Decoding Cocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktailing.